Today on the show, we talk about the novel coronavirus or COVID-19 and address a bunch of local questions connected to it. I am joined today in studio by Ted Baker, host of Finger Lakes Morning News on Finger Lakes News Radio. I'm Josh Durso, news director here at FingerLakes1.com. We have a ton to talk about. Ted, welcome back. We are here, socially distant, but face we're here. Face to face, but at a, about a 12-foot distance. So we're, we're twice as socially distant as we're required to be. It's nice um, to see a face other than my coworkers and my family for the first time in about a week. It's been, I think that's probably been the biggest adjustment for people is just not seeing even people they work with in some cases. Um, one of the things I've seen a lot on social media is people saying, like, you know, comparing their pets to, to you know, coworkers. But in the grand scheme of things, they, they, aren't, quite, uh, they aren't quite as good as it turns out. Um, let's see. Let's start with... Uh, obviously, today we're going to be talking all about the coronavirus. Um, we're going to look at all the different local aspects of this thing. Um, the first thing I wanted to talk about, and we chatted a little bit about this uh, before we came on here, um, essential versus not essential. That was probably the most heartily debated uh, discrepancy here, I think, as Governor Cuomo rolled out uh, closures of various types of businesses. Of course, about a week ago, it was, I think, last Friday, uh, was the day he sort of uh, threw the final nail in the coffin of the, the the businesses that had remained open. So salons, barbershops, places like that. Um, what are your thoughts so far on the essential versus non-essential business uh, debate? And then on top of that, also, I want to throw in a little bit of uh, conversation about what people are calling a lockdown <laughs> and and how unlocked uh, down it actually is or feels. Well, I, my first reaction was that the essential list it seems like it's almost everything. I, I understand that, you know, in an economy as interconnected as ours, it's pretty hard because, you, you know, you have to have food stores open. And you can say, all right, is a car dealership essential? Well, if your car breaks and you need it fixed, to get to the grocery store, then yeah, I guess it's pretty essential. I mean, it seems like in the long run, what it amounts to is everything's essential except for kind of basic retail. And I mean, think about if this had happened, uh, you know, a decade or so ago, Walmart would have been closed because they weren't selling food back then. Right. It it is interesting. I think one thing that's kind of, I guess, uh, become bothersome with the way this was executed was sort of the the slowness of it. And I, I think Governor Cuomo, at least in my opinion, has done a fairly good job of uh, leading New York State through this. Now, I think he and his administration, as much as anyone, is kind of working through a playbook that hasn't really been defined before. So, you know, how the hell do you approach this? Um, my, my thought is that it should have been harsher, faster, if you're going to do it right. I think, I'm sorry, I I think it should have been at least more certain faster. Right. It changed so much. Nobody could keep track. I mean, one day it was 10% of workers go home. Then it was 50. Then it was 75. Then it was everybody. Uh, People thought when when the the last measure went into place, last Friday, when it was announced that 8 p.m. Sunday would be the lockdown, as so many people called it, Early the next week, we had people wondering if they were going to be stopped 
by law enforcement if they went out in their cars. I mean, there was just a lot of misunderstanding about it. I think in retrospect, I think we might have been better served had we been given some lead time and some very certain guidelines to say, okay, in one week, we're going to put this into place and that's it. It just, it changed so fast during that one week last week that a lot of people just wound up very confused about what they could or couldn't do, where they could or couldn't go, could or couldn't shop. Well, I think part of the part of the concern there is, and, and Governor Cuomo mentioned it, at least in a couple of his uh, daily press conferences, it, while he was mulling this over, obviously, um, the, the whole concept of if you do that, if you give people lead time, they will probably flee the state, which is why he didn't, he moved to shut things down with other states around New York as sort of a, a means to contain it. But I think that if you gave, you know, if you gave, and this is where I think it kind of comes down to the federal government to decide and, and execute something like this as opposed to um, a state or even states. Uh, because if you give them lead time like that, three days, five days a week, whatever it is, you're going to have portions of people or the population uh getting out and and they're going to leave and they're going to go somewhere else and you're going to have that spread happen it, it's it's interesting because i i see a lot of conversation happening about what is or is not essential and the reasoning behind that but my thought process is that while doing that a lot of times especially in rural communities we forget about how much of the workforce is actually essential you know, keeping water running, keeping the waste uh, waste man the the plants uh, sewer systems running, and and healthcare, and all of these things that literally are essential in the grand scheme of things. It, you know, it's not like these are thriving economies on on sort of the micro level. We're literally talking about economies that have essentials, and that's literally what supports the economy. You know, you take Seneca County or uh, Cuyahoga County, and you look at five points or Auburn prison, and it's not like you can tell all of them to go home. All the people who work to keep those facilities running, they employ a, a pile of people, and there isn't this clean sort of break where you can say, oh, yeah, we're definitely containing this thing. You're, you're not going to be able to contain it by even allowing certain essentials to run, in my opinion. I think if you are talking about what an effective lockdown would have looked like, it would have had to literally be a lockdown where you get to go to the grocery store once a week and you do, and maybe even that would be too much. And then you get into the point where you're not going to work. You're not doing anything. Essential services are being shut down. It does have an impact on it. So how does it even work? How can it even work? Right. I mean that, you know, you could say, okay, have a more extreme shutdown, but then are we equipped to deal with the emergency cases that arise? The person who runs out of fuel oil and it's winter and they're freezing in their home, or the elderly woman who <laughs> relies on someone else to do the shopping for her, but that person's already made their one trip this week. I mean, it's, you know, I guess we have to give credit it's... for anybody being able to manage this at all from a governmental level. Because our economy is just so vast and so interconnected and such a big part of who we are that it's pretty hard to just put a clamp down on it. It's public safety. Like, you you can't, and, and this is one of the things, like, 
you know, I listening to these numbers about ICU beds in New York State, and and you know, the first thing I said when when all of this this conversation was starting about what isolation looks like and being socially distant and how prepared the healthcare system was or was not, when you have a state of 19.4 million people and only 3,000 ICU beds, turn that into 10,000 ICU beds, which as it turns out wouldn't even be enough in the situation we're in right now if the forecasts are if the forecasts pan out. You're talking about a, a healthcare system that is so unprepared, it's bad math, it's math that doesn't work, and at the end of the day, being socially distant, you're not going to be able to contain it enough to prevent the wave from crashing down on the healthcare system. So that's where you get that resistance, I think, of folks who say, well, why are we doing this? Like, what, what, what sense does this make? I did a blog post on our website, FingerLakesDailyNews.com, about the questions after this is all done. And that was one of them, is how did we allow ourselves to get this way? How did we allow healthcare to become a thing that isn't ready to deal with sick people? I mean, that's a pretty fundamental function of our healthcare system. And apparently, we just don't have a system that is able to handle even a small spike in the number of people who need treatment. And, And... you know, a lot of questions we were talking before we went on about what the future of work is going to look like with all these people working at home. Are we going to? Are they all going to come back, or are we going to see employers asking that question? Why do I have a workforce that comes to a central office if they are able to work from home? There's a lot of those questions that you know it goes back to. We're always talking about larger themes when we're here, and there there are a lot of larger themes that we can get to in the months ahead after this passes, whenever it passes. Well, and that was actually, so I want to jump in with one of the questions that we did get uh, this week. Um, Mark in Ontario basically asked, it was a lengthy question, but I'll I'll summarize it by simply saying, uh, or simply asking, first, how long can this go on before, uh, before there are business ramifications? And then the second part is, how long can the state, the state, sustain this. Governor Cuomo already is is not pleased uh, with the amount of money that the the uh, federal government will be pitching in to New York State to cover sort of the, the crisis cost of the moment. Um, they're getting somewhere around $3 billion, and Cuomo says the state is going to probably need something between 14 and $17 billion. So while uh, a lot of elected leaders can say uh, really nice things um, in terms of, you know, and Cuomo's sentiment last week was that we will be here and, and New York State will make sure that you are whole when this is over with. I don't think you can make that statement with the data behind you. I, I mean, it, it seems as though we're basically running against a clock here where maybe New York State can sustain itself for maybe 30 days shut down. But being shut down beyond that with the uh, sales tax implications, with the revenue stream implications for the state... Um, especially if, if the federal government isn't going to pitch in more, it doesn't really seem like it's something that can sustain itself. So, you know, what do you think about that in terms of how long can something like this go on before the state is maybe forced to have to make a, a decision about letting at least some of the workforce go back and let the economy start running again, no matter how devastating the, the death toll may be connected to this thing? I think from the financial standpoint, I really think one of the things we have to do, and it's difficult, is sort of take a deep breath and take a step back and let some of these things play out. Because 
there's it's not all about government. Uh, for example, uh, you know, Danny Wegman, they they gave their workers, Wegmans gave their workers a temporary raise right. to help them get through this. Uh, we've heard anecdotal stories of some landlords telling their tenants, "Don't worry about it." Well, you know, so I think. I think there's a, a, a human decency that we're seeing come to the forefront here where people are going to do everything they can to make sure that we all kind of get through it together. And and we don't know, you know, is this stimulus, is this going to be the, the only one? Will there be another round? Uh, there's definitely going to be a day of reckoning because this money isn't free. Right. So something's going to happen somewhere down the line. When we start talking about tens of billions of dollars that everybody needs... You know, where's that going to come from when there's no economic activity that's what generates all this revenue? So I, I, think, I think that there's going to be some pressure there when we talk about how long is this going to last. I think there's going to be pressure put on, whether it's the state or federal government, by a lot of people saying we can't stay in our rooms for six months. We just simply cannot do it. Yeah, it's interesting because I, I think, you know, We've seen some pauses on different things like rent is uh, rents and mortgages are supposed to be paused for three months. Evictions can't happen for three months. Um, we've seen some different moves like that. Banks, um, I my bank is forgiving late fees. So okay. if you don't pay your mortgage, you wait a couple of weeks and things get better and you pay it two weeks late, you don't get the late fee. They're waiving overdraft fees, so essentially... If you don't go too far over the line, you know, if you write a check and you're 50 bucks short, they're not going to bust you over it. So that's what I'm saying. We're, we're seeing a lot of people stepping up in a lot of ways to say, okay, we're in it together and we can get through it together. It doesn't just have to be about government handing out money to people. Yeah, it, it's interesting because that is definitely, um, obviously now that we've got the, the stimulus, which appears as of recording this, we're, we're still waiting for the final vote in the House to get this thing across the finish line. But it looks like it, it will get Seems through. Seems to be. Um, $1,200 to individuals, uh, which will go out sometime in April or May. Uh, sounds great on paper, I suppose. Um, there are a lot of good-feeling things baked into this. Relief for small businesses, uh, those that have fewer than 500 employees. There's there's some measures for larger uh, corporations, too. Um, my curiosity, I guess, is, is that realistically enough? If you're talking about keeping the workforce shuttered for a month, is a $1,200 check that potentially could come at some point in the next 60 to maybe 90 days... Um, before they're finally patched and released, is that really going to be enough? Even though there all are all of these safeguards being in, being put in place, sort of um, on a one-off basis by different banks and institutions like I that. I mean, I think it could be a start because one of the things that happens at the consumer level is when we're in this kind of shutdown, we're spending a lot less money. I mean, I'm not broadcasting any games right now, so I'm not making a second car trip back to Geneva to pick up my gear and go out and do a game. So I'm, I'm spending a lot less on gasoline than I was. Uh, you, you know, when I'm staying at home, I'm not going out to eat, whether it be takeout or delivery. Now, at the consumer level, that's great, but now that ripples to the next level is the restaurants and the people that aren't getting the business that they were. I, I mean, it sounds like people are doing their best to support 
each other. So I, I don't know. I think that we we have such an instant society, you know, instant information, financial markets. You know, the stock market moves 1,000 points, 2,000 points every day based on the rumor of the day. Yeah. I really think we just need to back off a little bit and and let a few days go by and see how this all begins to shake out. So, in and this isn't a question, but it's a it's a comment that sort of stuck with me. It was one of the first ones that came in. Jenny from Ontario uh, said, "I work in the service industry, and here officials say jobs will be there when this is over. But my employer, who I won't name, says they can only last a few weeks or a month, stimulus or not. I didn't make a ton of money, but it was the only consistent work I could find. I'm a single mother of one, and I think that that sentiment to me is is kind of the." The that's the reality that that elected officials have to figure out how to negotiate. Like, you know, if you work in healthcare or if you work in in what's deemed an essential service, or you know, you're you're doing like what we do in 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 media, we're a little bit protected. Like, this it, life can go on for those people, but for the people who are you know running these small businesses, running these restaurants, running these bars, different things like that. Takeout and on-the-go menus aren't enough. And that's the one thing that I keep hearing. And it's interesting, you know, through all of the legislative action that we've seen so far uh, on this front for small businesses, there there hasn't really been this acknowledgement that most of these businesses are highly leveraged already and don't have the working capital to be able to sustain themselves even more than a few weeks. So my thought is, is like you say, you look at, you're looking at some of the, the employers that are having employees work from home right now where they may say after this, hey, keep working from home. You don't need to <coughs> you don't need to come anywhere. But the flip side of that to me is is like how many of these restaurants and bars are going to still be open well when it's over. I, here's what I think. I think that so a lot of them are going to have difficulty getting through, but when we do get through this, at some point, coming out on the other side, whenever that is, and there's a return to normalcy, I think there's going to be a lot of pent-up demand. I mean, the restaurants may really suffer right now, but let's say for the sake of argument, in two weeks, we have a sudden breakthrough, the curve is flattened, the numbers are going way down, and it's obvious we can return to normal. Everybody and their uncle is going to want to go eat at a restaurant. So I think there's going to be a certain amount of pent-up demand that's going to be released on the other side that will allow some of these people to catch up if they can hang on through that period by whatever means. I, I mean, th there may be some restaurants that might close, but then when they open back up, they ought to be able to at least somewhat catch up to where they were. Right. I think, you know, it's uh, we have to have some faith here, I think, to get through this. We have to have a little bit of faith that it's going to be all right at some point. Does, and this is something that I've seen sort of fester on Twitter over the last three to five days, um, as obviously Donald Trump has talked about uh, reopening the economy sooner rather than later. Um, you have Governor Cuomo kind of pushing back against that and saying it could be four to nine months, um, even though his actions maybe paint a little bit of a different picture. Uh there seems to be this this ever present fear that even if um, we open the economy back up, you're going to have a portion of the population that continues to 
um, be reluctant to to engage and reluctant to get into those environments. And I wonder what the economic impact of that will be, even if, you know, in pockets you're going to start to hear that it's A-OK to get out there and go do whatever you want. I wonder what the ramification is going to be that if maybe instead of it being, you know, 100% of the population utilizing the the local economies as it would be, you're talking about only like 40 or 50 or 60% of the population actually going out to restaurants, actually going to movie theaters, actually going to places where, you know, commerce happens, retail environment, that sort of thing. I think it's going to be a higher percentage than that. I, I don't see... 30 or 40 percent of people staying home. I mean, I, I think we might keep some of these precautions in place. It might not be a bad idea if we stood a little farther apart in line, and maybe we should keep spraying off the conveyor belt and the pin pad at Wegmans or wherever. But I, I just, the, the sentiment that I'm getting is mostly that people are kind of tired of it already. And we just want our lives back. I mean, whether that's rational or not, whether the science and the numbers say it's wise or not, that's what we as a nation, I think, want. We want our lives back to how they were. I think, in, and I was talking to a couple friends this morning about this uh, this fact, I think we're in a situation now where unless the, and this is, I, I say this, I want to respect everyone who is like, has varying opinions on this because this has been really difficult to sort of cover. But to put it bluntly, I think unless there is a really significant death toll, this is going to be an issue that, or this is going to be one of those moments in history that is viewed through a very political lens where it's either greatly overblown to one degree or greatly under, uh, underrepresented to uh, from the other perspective. Um, I genuinely wonder where where is the line? Because I, I hear and I have been hearing uh, a lot of even local officials in some of these more rural communities saying, you know, and this is from the health departments. You've how many times have we heard uh, don't panic, just prepare or something prepare, not panic. I might be flipping the, the words there, but. That sentiment is is so different than what it what the reality seems to be, depending on where where you look. So I just I I think of this whole situation, and I look five years from now when we're looking back at this moment, I, I think it's going to be a very politicized uh, event, whether that's right or wrong. Unless there is a, is a significant, unless we're talking about a significant death toll, and that's that's really it's depressing that that's the way society now actually looks at things like this. It didn't take very long for this to turn into left-right. I think largely most conservatives think the response has been way overblown. Most liberals think it's way underblown, and we're going to see these rocketing numbers. And if we have time to get into it, I I mean, some of the math doesn't really compute to me that I've been hearing, but... I've said I, I think what we're seeing right now is the presidential campaign. We're seeing Donald Trump and, and Andrew Cuomo going back and forth at each other. Uh, I don't think Cuomo is going to get the nomination this year. There's been talk that he'll be drafted and, and you know he's America's governor the way Rudy was America's mayor. I don't think that'll happen. I think there's a chance he might wind up the vice president, and maybe uh, he winds up Joe Biden's vice president, and if Biden's elected, he takes a one-term pledge because he's older, 
and we get President Cuomo. So, I mean, we're, we're seeing, you know, everything's playing out through the left-right political food fight, and that's just how everything is. I, I don't see that changing anytime soon. It didn't take very long before this became, you know, right-wing media saying it's just the flu and left-wing people saying we're all going to die and the truth lying somewhere in between. So let's get into the numbers. Um, I actually was listening to your show this morning a little bit when you guys first went on the air uh, during my commute, and that was uh, you were sort of breaking down the numbers, and you were going into the math. So go ahead, jump into that, and then that piggybacks really well okay. into something well, else I want to talk about. Well, at the risk of uh, my liberal friends will begin to get very angry here with me in a moment, but uh, for every 10,000 Americans... 9,998 have not tested positive for corona. Now, does that mean that none of them have it? No, because tests take time and there's a lag. But So for every 10,000 Americans, 9,998 have not tested positive, two have. And for every 10,000 Americans, 100 have been put out of work in the last week. Uh, the other thing, here, here's the other math that, that I have, have had a big struggle with, is we heard the governor the other day said we would need 140,000 hospital beds in New York. 15% of coronavirus patients are hospitalized. That means we would need 933,000 cases of corona in New York all at once within two weeks for that prediction to come true. We've had 30,000 cases, I think it is, or what, I mean the number changes, whatever, 30-something thousand in eight weeks. And again, in six of those, we basically took no precautions at all. So I don't see how we get from 30,000 total over a two-month period to 900-plus thousand in the next 14 days. I, I don't see that math computing for me. So I think for the folks who disagree with, with your your sentiment, I guess, they're probably going to argue that if testing isn't widely available, it's possible that you have. And, and that's, I think that's the part that that has created a lot of disconnect, maybe, is the, the idea that you're talking about potential numbers. This curve is not something that, like, we're watching a curve in real time, but forecasting beyond the point of where you are right now is is in some form speculation, whether it's yeah, right or sure, wrong. Sure, Absolutely. But the the idea, like I, I use, you know, I'll use Seneca County as an example. I think as of yesterday, they had, they had completed something like 25 tests. Might be wrong. If I'm wrong, I'll, I'll publish it. I'll update our numbers on Finger Lakes <clears throat> 1. Um, but in a, a county of 34,000 people-ish, 25 tests just isn't enough. And, and the guideline, like this is, this is why I think no matter what, Testing has to be made more efficient, period. Like, testing has to be more effective. It has to be widely Well, available. and I think we may be on the way to that. I, I think I have heard, again, we're in this blizzard of information over the last couple of weeks, that, that a faster test may be coming or faster results coming out. Now, the other, I saw this statistic the other, way, the other day, and I apologize because I, I, I think it might have been Monroe County. I, I don't know the geographic area, but the figure I saw was that 93% of tests for corona were coming up negative. Yeah, And, uh, and that's keeping in mind possible. that the people being tested are the ones that we most likely think have it. Mm -hmm. 
So if that percentage is 93% for that group, then for the population as a whole, there aren't very many people getting it. Yeah. Now, again, outside of New York City, New York City's got a whole different thing going on right now. I, I acknowledge that. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I just don't know that there's, you know, we had a, a one one reader wrote in from Yates County and, and basically said, we need, to, we need to get back to work. He literally said those words. Um, you know, there are a lot of people in these rural communities who share that sentiment that, listen, this this is a problem in urban communities. Let the urban communities deal with it. And and we will continue to live our lives here now. That I've, does seem to be mostly the case. I mean, the, the, the other day, the figure was that 60% of all new cases in the United States were happening in New York City. It's not, I mean, uh, it, and, and it makes sense, obviously, that any infectious agent is going to spread more quickly in more densely populated places. I mean, that's just, I, I don't think that's controversial at all. No. So it just comes down to, yeah. do we... How do we weigh the numbers that we know so far versus the fear of the numbers that we don't know? I mean, I live in Yates County, which has zero recorded cases. The corona's been in the United States for eight weeks. Zero cases. So what reason is there for me to believe that that number is going to be 2,000 by next week? Or even 500 or even 17? Mm -hmm. Based on what we've seen... That evidence doesn't seem to be there. Could yeah. I be wrong? I sure could. And if I'm wrong and I don't die, I'll be the first to admit it. I, I think part of this is you have the folks who are banking on how rural and what they feel is not. They have this. Uh, oh God, they have this agency apart from these urban communities that they aren't in any way, shape, or form reliant or connected to them. Because, you know, you know, think about the people that you've encountered in your life and, you know, think of your, your neighbors. If you live in a small community, think of the, the people who, to them, going out or going to the city is, you know, going to the next nearest town that has a Walmart. Yeah. Or the next, you know, and these these people, I feel like, don't always realize how many people from outside their community, even if you are a small rural one, are coming in and what that can mean for this virus and how it, well, how and, it moves. Well, and we saw that at the nursing home in Washington State. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I think essentially one infected person went into this nursing home and it was a vulnerable population and it spread rapidly to that vulnerable population. So, yeah, there, there's, uh, I mean, early on, some, some noted right-wing media figures were saying it's just the cold, it's, it's not anything, it's a hoax, all that kind of stuff. I, I've never believed that. Right. I'm just, like a lot of people, trying to balance the figures that we know versus what, what we don't know. And, and I keep going back to the flu, and I'm not saying this is the flu, because it's not, but... Last flu season in America, we had 35 million people get the flu. Mm -hmm. And we've had 30,000 get it in in this COVID outbreak. So I I still struggle with that. Why, Why did we not do anything on this scale 
for a virus that affects and kills 35,000. We're up to, what's the death toll in New York State? It's in the hundreds, 500, yep. something like that. Yep. It was 35,000 for the flu last year. So I'm still trying to figure out what seems like a disproportionate response and, and why, if this is necessary now, it was never necessary in any flu seasons before. So then this question, and it's an issue that we kind of talked a little bit this morning uh, on, on your program. Uh, Dina in Ontario asks, I've seen some counties encourage those who have second homes to stay away and simultaneously turn those uh, who might vacation to the region away as well. Uh, I can't see how this doesn't have a permanent impact on the tourism industry. Am I off base? Uh, Deanna sends that in to us. I my thought process is to some degree, yes, it is a little off base. I don't think this is, if this doesn't last more than 30 days and the, the different um, pieces of legislation that I've, I've heard batted around or the different messages that I've seen come from different counties um, seem to be fairly un- universal in that basically making a 30 day proclamation here, not saying never come back to Seneca County, Yates County, Ontario County. It's more like if you can and you have a second home, stay where you are for the next 30 days until we get a better temperature of, of what's going on. I think on. that's pretty reasonable. I, I think, yeah. obviously, you don't want people from the areas of higher infection coming out to the areas of low infection. I mean, that that's how you turn those areas into high infection. So I I understand that sentiment, and I think it makes sense. I, I just think that, you know, long-term ramifications, eventually this will be over. Right. There will be no more COVID virus, and, I mean, no reason to believe that it's going to come back next year. I mean, these things, whether it was SARS or MERS or H1N1, they generally seem to have their one-year run, and that's all. Ten years from now, you know, anybody under 20 won't even remember corona, and, and life will go on. So that's there'll be long-term ramifications, no doubt about it, but I, I don't think... You know, if this ends, and I'll talk about kind of when I think it might, uh, if we get a moment, but when this ends, we'll begin slowly returning to normal. And I I think, uh, you know, a few years down the line, I don't think there'll be any tourism. I I don't think someone three years from now is going to go, I don't want to go anywhere on vacation because there might be one leftover person with this virus. I, I don't see that. Yeah, and I, I think, and we can talk about sort of timeline because I think that's important to the next couple topics that we're going to be talking about here anyway. But I, I think I think the concern, at least it feels like it's more gear, it's more directed at the local officials who are making these proclamations. And, and maybe some people who, especially uh, those who maybe work or work in the hospitality business or in the service industries, or, you know, maybe they own properties that are normally on Airbnb and they're normally making money hand over fist this time of year or through the spring and summer and fall. Um, Is there going to be sort of a ripple effect toward them for making these types of decisions if there isn't sort of this realized um, uh, plague onto these smaller communities? Say we are talking about when all this is said and done. Yeah. You know, less than a thousand people in Seneca County or in a Yates County that wound up being um, diagnosed with it, and maybe the the you know hopefully the the numbers of those who had to be hospitalized is is very low, and maybe you get out of it with no no fatalities. Um, it it start you start to wonder like is there going to be a, a 
reaction on the political side where some of these these people who were um, pretty strong and swift in how they came out up front have to maybe recalibrate a little bit so that they're you know they they aren't viewed as being too anti-business which as we found is kind of the thing that drives politics in general in the finger lakes yeah there's always a ripple because i mean if i don't if i don't spend my dollar at the next level then that person doesn't have it to spend it wherever they spend it and that person doesn't have it to spend it wherever they spend it so it, it yeah it, yeah it starts off the economy but i think you know, we, we have to balance. I, I'm not 100%, you know, I'm not saying throw everything open, screw the virus, let's go back to work. I'm saying essentially what what I understand the president's proposal was that we begin classifying areas in terms of risk, whether it be county by county or portions of states or whatever. And if we see an area where the risk seems negligible, that it then makes sense to at least begin loosening the reins maybe not all at once but at least begin do you think that works in a do you think that's something that's actually adopted here in new york state because i have real questions i saw the letter last night that was published by or that was published by npr and sent out by president trump to the governors um i read it and you know right you're creating these guidelines for counties to work off of um, but I just don't see that being something that Governor Cuomo gets behind. And, no, I don't and either. Right? And and we we discussed this on our morning show this morning. Is that that by law, that call still goes to the states. Right. Uh, the the president, to the best of my knowledge, cannot force business openings. But you also discussed at, at what point do individual businesses say to heck with what the state's telling us? I'm opening my restaurant. Come do something about it. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Um, so let's talk timeline. When do we think things will start? Because that has been the number one question, and we're not fortune tellers, of course, so we can't know for sure. This is, this is my gut feeling. My gut feeling is that, uh, despite what the governor is saying, I think that these restrictions can't help but flatten the curve. I think we're going to see, I, I, you know, there's an app I have on my phone that gives the numbers every day. And while the overall number keeps going up, which it's going to do because it's a cumulative number, the number of new cases that I've seen in the last four or five days has kind of leveled off. It's been about the same number of new cases each day. So anyway, having said that, I think a natural kind of target for a return to normalcy is around Labor Day. It's when fall sports begin. It's when schools begin. It's when we make that transition from kind of summer mode to fall, back to business sort of mode. So unless the virus numbers dictate otherwise, I could see us being back to more or less normalcy by September. I I think we see the NFL kick off and college football when it's expected to. I, I don't think we'll see anybody go back to school this academic year, but I think we will in the fall. That's just that's kind of a gut, and if if the numbers prove otherwise, if we're still a month from now and the number of cases is still going up through the roof, then then that's got to change. But that's kind of that's my gut where I see it going right now. So it's interesting, and and we'll just go into this topic now. Um, Rebecca from Seneca wrote, uh, "Kids have been out of school for almost two weeks now, and they're going to be out of school for at least another two weeks." 
How much longer can this go on? Is there any timeline when schools might resume in-class learning? Um, and I'll just say from the few um, school officials throughout the region that I've talked to, uh, superintendents and such, it seems like uh, there's still hope in some way, shape, or form that they can get back into uh, the classroom by maybe mid to late May. Um, nothing, no public proclamations or anything like that, just just feeling the situation out. I just don't see that based on what we've been hearing the governor say over the last few days. I, that would take quite a reversal for the governor who's, who continues to say that, that we're not at the peak yet, we're going to need this many hospital beds, we're going to need this many ventilators to go from there to back to school kids in three or four weeks from now, I don't see it. So then my question morphs into, and it's another it's another question that we got from someone down in Stuben County, how are you going to feed the kids? Because school is breakfast and lunch. And let me tell you, the, the we're already seeing it in bigger cities around the country where um, feeding programs have effectively had to stop. So you're going to have a scenario where eventually, you know, in New York's case, I think the money runs out. These, the people who run kitchens and run uh, basically meal programs in, in these districts, especially the rural ones, they can't sustain this for the rest of this school year and then continue to do it all summer like they do. Well, and I think that's where we begin to have to rely on individuals and private citizens and, and people coming together. I mean, in uh, in Geneva, I just had Chris Lavern from the Boys and Girls Clubs on. They teamed up with the food service people at Hobart William Smith because they have no students to feed right now. And so they're doing meals every day. Um, I, I think that's where we have to... I, I And that's, to circle back around for a minute, I think one of the things that has slowed some of the response to this is that a lot of people are waiting for the government to tell them what to do, as if, I'm sounding really conservative these days, but as if government is the only entity that can do anything. I, you know, when people started talking about the other day about using empty hotel rooms as hospital beds for less ill people, why did it take us months for somebody to come up with that? I think there's a little bit of over-reliance. We're waiting for the government to save us and tell us what to do. So, I think who feeds the kids, whoever can. Mm-hmm. Whoever, you got some food, give it to the cause. You, you got a little extra money, give it to the cause. I, I think that's, and and the the optimist in me, if Jackie were here, she's the eternal optimist, I think she might say that, that you know, human kindness and human goodness will get us through this as much as checks and government programs. I don't know that, I, I am not trying to be the pessimist here, but I just don't, I, I don't see it. I mean, we've seen an erosion of all of these, and maybe the Boys and Girls Club is, is a, a sort of exception, um, but we're seeing a lot of government agencies aren't even equipped to deal with the mass that they're having to deal with right now. The Department of Labor's website has been effectively useless right. for the last seven days. So government's not ready. Agencies and organizations, nonprofits have been shrinking by the day over the last two decades where a lot of this manpower would otherwise be coming from because of the the environment that New York State has created through its own legislating 
process over the last couple decades. And now we're, we're just going to assume that, that all of these great local organizations and people are going to be able to literally make the community function and keep the community whole. That is an ins- that to me, that just doesn't work. That's that's almost as bad a math as having three thousand ICU beds when you have nineteen point four million people living in a state. Well, uh, I can't argue with you. I can only hope because <laughs> because if if what you say is true, then we don't really need to waste time talking about this virus. We're all screwed anyway. Well, and that's I mean, so <laughs> okay. So I guess the way I put a positive spin on that is by saying, look, like eventually we're going to have to start to let things return to normal in some way, shape, or form and deal with the consequences, whatever those consequences are. I mean, when we're talking about, and, you know, we heard the governor talk a lot about, you know, what a human life was worth, but, you know, probably five to 10 years from now, we're going to look back at at 2019, 2020, and 20, maybe even 2021. And, you know, the CDC is going to come out with another glaring report saying how, you know, uh, substance use disorders increased in this period. There was maybe a rise in the rate of, uh, of suicide. And, and perhaps we'll even see at that point that, you know, the number of folks who who died from something that could have been the coronavirus but wasn't diagnosed as the coronavirus. We're going to see all of these ripple effects in, through the rest of society that are literally going to. I mean, it's going to be human lives we're talking about. Maybe be, not directly I mean, connected. No but there, there will be impact five years from now there there will be fundamental changes in the way we live one thing i wonder if we'll see is possibly an upturn in in socialism we we're we've been we've been very reluctant as a nation to implement any sort of income sharing or any sort of socialist redistribution but now suddenly that this disease is here, Republicans and Democrats can both agree on a $3 trillion package. So I'm wondering if in the future there won't be a little bit more push for some of these types of programs to, to rebuild the safety nets and to help everybody out. Because like you said, I mean, uh, you know, uh, the, the food pantry right across the street here, the House of Concern, is, is almost out of food. A lot of people are. Yeah. Um, It'll be real interesting. We'll have plenty of topics to talk about over the next several years because I think, if nothing else, uh, I think we will get through this with difficulty, but I think that there will be a backside when we'll look back at COVID as something that's over and it's going to have some fundamental impact, I think, on the way we live for a long time going forward, as 9-11 did. I mean, 9-11 right. changed our thoughts about being able to walk into a school building unfettered or to be able to just walk down the alley and get onto a plane. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to see fundamental changes in our lives that this is going to bring about. Yeah, it, it's it's interesting. So uh, my last, uh, last question here, uh, when we look forward over, say, the next week to two weeks, um, what are the things that you're watching for that will either that will be telling in one way or another um, with how not just sort of government is going to handle this, but how society is going to continue to handle this? Well, I, I think the first thing I'm looking at are are the numbers of infections. I, I cannot believe that these measures have have not been effective. It doesn't make any sense to me. 
when I go out on the street and don't see hardly anybody out there, and when I see everybody in line at Wegman standing six feet apart, I can't believe that we haven't flattened the curve. Could be wrong. But so that's what I'm looking for is that first glimmer of hope, you know, the first time that we get the report that new infections were little to none this week. Mm-hmm. Then we can start to say, okay, now there, because right now there's no light at the end of the tunnel. There's there's nothing out there that anybody can see that says we're going to get through this. All they can see is more negative stories, more people dying, more positive tests, overwhelmed healthcare workers. So that that's what I'm looking for is to see if these measures that we're taking are having some impact. And and I have to believe that that they have to. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think the 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 numbers thing is is pretty much where my focus is, um, and I'd encourage everybody, whether you live in a small community or um, uh, in a more densely populated one, um, it's worth watching the numbers, and it's also worth. Um, there are a lot of trackers out there. We've linked to one that seems to be to be most closely and quickly connecting to the local health departments. Um, but at the end of the day, your local health department is the number one resource for uh, any sort of COVID-related information, whether you're talking about uh, frequently asked questions or just um, the numbers for your community. And be smart. I mean, it, you know, it's dumb to get 12 people together and have a barbecue in your backyard right now. It just that doesn't make any sense. I, I understand why you want to. That's why even though I, I've come down on, on what I guess most people would call the skeptic side here, I'm practicing these measures. I, I, I'm in my studio by myself. Our guests are all on the phone. Mm-hmm. I do the rest of my administrative work from home. I've, I've tremendously limited my contact with anybody because yeah. it just makes sense. What, whatever you think about it, whatever side of the political aisle you're on, whether you think it's nothing but the flu or the worst health pandemic ever, it makes sense to do those things either way. It does. Uh Ted, where can folks hear you Monday through Friday? On the Finger Lakes Morning News, on Finger Lakes News Radio. In Geneva, that's 95.9 and 1240 WGVA. In Auburn, it's 98.1 and 1590 WAUB. Thanks for watching or listening. The show is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, as well as YouTube. Visit www.fingerlakes1.com debrief to check out archived episodes or to leave us a message. For my guests in studio and the rest of the FO1 News team, have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next time.